0: Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners onto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association.
1: This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our God and Father, creator of all things in heaven and earth, our supreme and only Sovereign, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to Thee in prayer, we give Thee thanks for Thy blessings, and we offer unto Thee our common supplication. Impart to us, for the sake of Thy only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the pardon for all of our sins, and deliverance from the just recompense of our transgressions. By Thy power, Rescue us in times of temptation from the threatening perils of the world, the flesh and Satan, and protect us from all danger to our souls. And as we are unable, by our own reason or strength, to walk worthily in the face to which Thou hast called us, or to bear honorably the name of Christ, we ask that Thou would help us by Thy grace so that we may also bear in love with each other's faults and infirmities, serve one another in charity and kindness, and bless those who may seek to harm us. Look in mercy upon thy church, O God, and grant that it may be kept in the unity of the Spirit and in the bonds of peace and love. May thy church manifest this unity before all of the world, that all men may learn of our one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, and receive His redemption and the gift in Him of everlasting life. Bless our nation. Keep us under Thy divine protection. Give us faithful rulers who will honor the sacred teachings of Thy holy word. Show Thyself the guardian of all of our families and enable parents to give wise reproof spiritual admonition and be a wholesome example to their children. May thy healing powers bless the sick and all of the afflicted. Hear their cry and remember them in thy mercy. Show thyself to them a very present help, the Savior of all men and especially them that believe. Increase their trust in thee through the love of thy Son, Jesus Christ, We ask Thee, Father, to bless this time of fellowship that we share together in Thy holy Word. All of these things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we have prayed. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. For our meditation today, I'm going to read from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, In chapter 5, I will read from verse 18 through verse 21. And I read these words in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. These are thy holy words, Holy Father. Sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is everlasting truth. Amen. Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans is a very important part of the New Testament writings. Its teachings are truly significant when it is considered in conjunction with the epistle Addressed to the churches of Galatia, we receive a clear revelation of the essential truth that the sum of all divine doctrine is to be found in Jesus Christ. These teachings occupy a prominent place in the setting forth of those principles upon which we must build our houses of faith in order that we may obtain the assurance of our salvation. These teachings confirm that Jesus Christ is the foundation, that he is the one and only foundation that will give us the assurance of being heirs of eternal life. Now it is very clear that the verses I have just read establish the consequences for sin. These verses present the doctrine of original sin that came about because of the fall in Eden. Firmly established in the Word is the fact that through the disobedience of Adam, the sentence of judgment and death came upon all of Adam's descendants. In these verses, Paul also brings out the second part of the salvation message by saying that it is through the obedience of one Jesus Christ, that the free gift of salvation has also been made available to everyone who will receive it. This gift is the expression of indescribable love and of boundless grace, of the love and of the grace of God, our eternal Creator. Earlier in the chapter from which I have read, The author substantiates this conclusion when he states, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they shall receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness and shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Forever fruitless remain the efforts of those who try to consult human reason in order to figure out how it is possible that Adam's single act of eating this fruit from a forbidden tree could be so deadly as to destroy every member of the human race in infinite succession, and also destroy all race with eternal death. To be sure, this power of destruction did not lie in the fruit of that tree, The real cause of this dreadful evil is that Adam sinned against God because he disregarded God's command and then he transgressed it. Adam and Eve chose to believe what Satan told them rather than what God had told them. Satan used an effective system to bring this about. Satan was clever, Satan is clever. Although you have heard these verses of Scripture found written in the book of Genesis over and over again, I'm going to provide you with the opportunity to hear them again today. So now I read from the third chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning with verse 4 and concluding with verse 7. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. We see that the Holy Scripture says that it was Satan who caused this sin. Our parents thus became disobedient to God and thereby brought this terrible punishment upon themselves and upon their posterity. Their initial response to the result of their act of disobedience clearly shows us that Satan had not told them the whole truth. What was their immediate reaction to having acquired the knowledge of good and evil? Did they find joy? In the consequence of their disobedience? No. Fear overtook them, and they set about to cover their nakedness. They used fig leaf aprons to cover themselves. Then they tried to hide from the presence of the Lord God. They sought refuge and sanctuary among the trees of the garden. It was an effort on their part to cover their nakedness. To do this, they had made these fig leaf aprons. Next, they tried to hide from the presence of the Lord God, seeking refuge and cover among the trees of the garden. But it was futile for them to try to escape the presence of God. They attempted the impossible. They tried to flee from God, the God from whom none can flee or hide. During the time when Moses was leading the Israelites on their journey to the promised land, he warned them that if they sin against the Lord, they can be sure that their sin will find them out. Perhaps it may seem unnecessary to you, who are so familiar with this biblical account, to devote this much time to a detailed consideration of the entrance of sin into the world and to consider how sin destroyed Adam and Eve's relationship with their creator God. But I do so because it is important for us to understand something of the depths of the sin corruption that has overtaken our human nature. On the very subject of which we are speaking, the reformer made a strong comment regarding the importance of coming to the knowledge of sin, that is, of our own sin, our individual and personal sin nature, and our actual sins. He said that if we want to engage profitably in the study of the Bible, we must learn to understand our sinfulness aright. Otherwise, the Bible is a closed book to us. The old Adam, as our carnal nature is often referred to, does not only have reference to the outward acts of sin that we commit through the use of our five senses, but, as the Reformer also said, it refers to the whole tree and all of its fruits. And by this he meant our entire being since we are born of the seed of Adam, original sin, or the old Adam, is defined as the evil inclination of our sin corrupted nature. And we do find that we are inclined to sin. Yes, to sin in many, many forms. We are inclined to anger, to hatred, to covetousness, to unchastity, to pride and to other sins that are equally as harmful. Such evil inclinations are transmitted to us in our heritage from Adam. Furthermore, they are bred into our very nature. And it is from these evil inclinations that all sorts of evil works result, such as murder, adultery, robbery, and whatever else is a transgression of God's holy law. All sins Proceed from the evil inclination of our nature, of our very hearts, as evidenced in the corrupted and sinful nature that is our cradle gift. Jesus himself said, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. And he also said, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Although it is a universal experience that we become aware of and are convicted by committed sins that are overt violations of the law, we are convicted of them much easier and even earlier in our lives than we seem to come to realize and to understand the inherited sin, the sin that dwells in our members. The truth of the matter is, that we are not sinners only because we have committed actual sin. Rather, we are sinners even before we are old enough to commit actual sin because sin dwells in us. In his 51st Psalm, one of the Psalms classified as a psalm of penitence, we remember how King David lamented when he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Original sin is of such a nature that it will be entirely rooted out only by death and not before. Meanwhile, as Christians, we must constantly deal with this sinful heritage, a heritage that Apostle Paul writes about in this way. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And you will recognize that this quotation is taken from the seventh chapter of this Romans epistle. St. James the Apostle has some words to say on this very same matter. In his uh, epistle he writes, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The Bible confirms the fact that we cannot expect to live a godly life by dealing with or fleeing only from outward temptations, from the external temptations and causes that lead to sin. We must first learn to recognize and to deal with the inward temptations that arise from within our very beings, from our inherited sin. This is certainly true. The scripture teaches us that God searches the heart and he knows what is the mind of the spirit. God looks at the source, at the root cause of all of our words and deeds, and God judges accordingly. Now to conclude this thought, let's remember the familiar passage of Scripture found in the fourth chapter of the Hebrews' epistle that makes the assertion that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Then we'll move on to part two of our message, where we will consider the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom or through whom we have been given the only acceptable righteousness as a free gift, unto justification of life, as verse 18 in our text tells us. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The apostle then goes on and says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In his Galatians epistle, Paul writes something very similar concerning the law. I'll begin by quoting verse 19 in the third chapter where Paul asks, Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgressions till the siege had come to whom the promise was made. Then, continuing with verse 21, where Paul asks another question, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And now these important words. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By considering these verses from two different writings of the Apostle Paul, those to the Romans and those to the Galatians, were given a clearer picture of what he had in mind. The law was not given to take away sin. Neither was it given to quicken or to make alive. It was given in order to create and even increase the knowledge of sin among us. In the third chapter of this letter to the Romans, we read these words concerning the law. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all of the world become guilty before God. It appears that the Jews of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, did not know the purpose for which the law had been given. They used it as a means by which to try to obtain righteousness. And as a consequence, they were slaves themselves, and they made slaves of the other people that they taught. In speaking to them, Jesus said that they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. All of their works they do to be seen of men. And then he reproved them for shutting up the kingdom of heaven to men, for they do not enter themselves, neither do they permit them to enter that would like to enter. Matthew 23. They fail to understand that which is written in Scripture to the effect that whoever is under the law is also under its curse. In the spiritual experiences of every person who has been awakened from the sleep of sin and unbelief, there has been a time When the matters of salvation are opened and made clear to them, or should I say, when they are revealed to them, there is what we might call the fullness of time when a spiritually awakened, contrite, and helpless sinner experiences new birth, when he is born into the kingdom of God. And that is the time when Christ, whom Paul refers to as the seed that should come, becomes The sinner's hope for salvation, yes, his only hope. The gospel does its work, and this work is evidenced through the forgiveness of sins and by the gift of a perfect and an imputed righteousness. At that altar, where the blood of Jesus speaks, there is no sin so great but that it can be forgiven. At that altar, There is no person who is so deeply stained with sin that he cannot be made clean. For where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Yes, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. At that wondrous place We are justified by faith, and we obtain peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: We shall come with joy. Shall-
0: Friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned with the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association.
1: This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the love of Jesus and that in His compassion and grace He freely gave Himself as a propitiation for our sins, yielding up His perfect life as an offering for our redemption and salvation. Let Thy hand of blessing rest upon Thy church to prosper and defend it. Give success to all who sow the seed of Thy word and proclaim the glorious gospel of salvation. We pray for all who are in any want of body or soul, for all of our loved ones who are in distant places, for all who have strayed from Thy truth, for all who are in temptation, for all who are suffering sickness and pain, for all who mourn. We ask Thee, Father, to bless this time of fellowship that we share together in meditation upon Thy holy word. Unite us all in one Spirit in Thy Church on earth, and finally, in Thy courts in heaven. We pray all of these things in the name of Thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. For our meditation today, I'm going to read one of the miracles that our Lord performed during his prophetic office. It is recorded in the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew And I read in the Lord's name. And he entered into a ship, and passed over, and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, and then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise Take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose, and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled, and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Amen. These are thy holy words, Holy Father. Sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is everlasting truth. Amen. The kingdom that Christ established here on earth is a kingdom of grace. In it we obtain the favor of God as it is revealed to us in the words of Jesus, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. The life that is contained in the gospel is freely given. Comfort and consolation are the hallmarks of this kingdom. Its citizens are entitled and empowered to share these priceless benefits with others, yes, with all of those with whom they come in contact. If the kingdom of God, the church, is to grow as Christ would have it grow, it must remain a kingdom of grace, where the gospel is freely preached, where sins are proclaimed forgiven, for that is the very essence of the gospel. Using the light of the sacred scripture, we can safely conclude that there is no greater theme for our ministry than the grace of God that is revealed in the forgiveness of sins. Yet, it often becomes evident that the Lord's charge to his disciples to preach repentance and the remission of sins is overlooked and even diminished. It seems to be much more acceptable today to try to enroll people as citizens of the kingdom of God by simply challenging them to make Christ the Lord of their lives. The old-fashioned gospel preaching of earlier years is considered to be out of date. The greatest concern is not the realization that sin is a crippling disease, and that left unchecked it will eventually lead to an untimely and an unfortunate death. It is almost like people are asked to make decisions for Christ and then expected to walk full grown into the kingdom of God without even having been born. But that is not the biblical way. The right way to enter into the kingdom is to be born into the kingdom of God, and not through physical birth, but through spiritual birth or new birth, as Jesus called it when he explained it to Nicodemus so many years ago. Has an expectant mother ever tried successfully to teach her unborn child to walk? A ridiculous question but many don't seem to think so. Sin must be taken away. It must be cleansed and removed through the blood. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins must be restored to life. The helpless paralytic, as in our text, must be brought to Christ in order that his sins could be forgiven and he would be restored to health. It is my prayer that in the lesson we had before us, we will learn a new and a deeper appreciation for the essence of the gospel, so that we do not follow the trend to think that we have become masters of such elementary teachings of the gospel, and then begin to look for something that would be greater and more impressive to our carnal minds. Let us not cease to thank God for the power that he has enclosed in the gospel and be reminded again by prophet Isaiah's exhortation recorded in the 51st chapter of his book of prophecy where he says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence you are hewn and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. Now let's return to the healing miracle that forms the basis for our message, the scripture passage that I read in the beginning of our time together. In the first place, let's observe how it was possible for this paralyzed man to come to Jesus. One thing is sure. He did not come on his own without help. He was carried by four men as we read in St. Mark's account of this same miracle. Mark provides a bit more detail about this event than does Matthew. Mark explains that the house in which Jesus was preaching was so full of people that it was not possible to bring the man in the house in the usual manner, that is, through the door. The overcrowded and congested situation, however, did not discourage these men from getting close enough to Jesus so that he would become aware of their presence and would help them. What did they do? They made a hole in the roof. St. Mark states that they uncovered the roof. Perhaps the roof was of tile so that it was possible to remove enough of the tiles so as to gain entrance in that way. The opening in the roof was large enough so that they could let the bed down into the room in the exact place where Jesus was and the man was still in the bed. We are not told that the helpless man or his friends said anything to Jesus. When Jesus saw them, it was perfectly apparent to him what they wanted. Jesus knew what they expected. He didn't delay. He asked no questions He didn't insist that those involved in this errand of mercy would do something more than they had already done. They had done what was necessary. They brought him to Jesus. No other work was required. They had taken the Lord's invitation to heart when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is written that upon seeing their face, Jesus began to speak to this helpless man. He saw their face, the faith of the paralytic, and the faith of those who brought him. They knew that Jesus could help him. They sought for Jesus because they believed in his power and in his goodness. Nothing deterred them. Even the manner in which they gained entrance to the house shows us that. Now, at last, they stood in the presence of Jesus, and Jesus began to speak. With the gracious words that he spoke, Jesus led the helpless man into the kingdom of his Father. His very first words proved his willingness to help. It was a word of encouragement, a word of welcome. Son, he said, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. What a message of encouragement and hope. Who knows how long this man had been in that state of helplessness? The Lord did, and perhaps his friends also knew how long he had been afflicted with that crippling disease. But the Lord also knew how long he had been under conviction because of his sins. The Lord knew how long the man had been helpless and in search of release from the burden of sin that Jesus knew was resting upon him. Though helpless, he was not hopeless. If only I can get to Jesus must have been his daily prayer. And he was fortunate that he had friends of faith also who knew where to bring him for the help that he needed. Now, we know that in a spiritual sense, we cannot literally carry another person to Jesus in the manner that these men did. But we do have proper means available to us. In the first place, we can share our faith with them. We can speak of our spiritual experiences and tell them how Christ brought us faith and healing. Another very important medium is found in the power of prayer. Let us not be weary in our prayer life. The men in our miracle of healing set a good example for us. They were not easily discouraged. When we become discouraged, let's remember the example we have before us today. Some obstacles may seem insurmountable, but with God nothing is impossible. Over and over again in my ministry, prodigal sons and daughters have given testimony that it was their father and mother's prayers that followed them and ultimately brought them back to the Christian faith. And more often than not, their testimony has been that the miracle of repentance in their lives took place after the death of those loved ones who had the most influence in their lives. If I am speaking to someone today who has a sole concern for another person, for a son or daughter, a spouse or a sibling, a grandchild or a friend, be diligent in prayer. Don't allow yourself to fall into the clutches of Satan who is the author of unbelief and a messenger of despair. The beginning of the Lord's promise of help is described with the words, Be of good cheer. How well I remember that phrase from childhood. How often in the Christian fellowship in which I grew up, it was used in the same comforting way as Jesus did in addressing this helpless but hopeful man who had been brought to him. And I cannot tell you how many times it has brought encouragement and hope to my sometimes fainting heart also. And the message has been made complete when the words Jesus spoke to the paralytic have also been spoken to me in behalf of Jesus. How can one be downcast and troubled when Jesus tells us, that he has paid our sin debt, and that our sins are forgiven because of his atonement for sin. I well remember an experience that I had with an elderly hospitalized man to whom the Lord called me to minister. He was the son of righteous parents who long before had gone to their reward in heaven. But the man in my story had procrastinated for tens of years in taking care of his most priceless possession, his immortal soul. As I shared the gospel with him that day, he expressed the guarded hope that God might yet be willing to forgive him for his sins, even at this late hour in his life. I said to him, as Jesus did to the man in our text, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus and through the cleansing power of the blood that he shed as full payment of your sin debt. In an incredulous tone, the man began to inquire, can it really be true that all of my sins from the cradle to the grave are really forgiven? I assured him that it was true and explain that I based my confidence on the example of the repentance from the cross to whom Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, This day you shall be with me in paradise. From his prone position in his bed, he reached up and drew me down to his chest and began to praise God. Dear listening friend, what a privilege it is that we can be the servants of our God and are able to comfort others with the same comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. But who could do this? Who could say to a troubled sinner, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you, if Christ had not descended from heaven, lived a sinless life here on earth, in order to provide a righteousness that would be pleasing to God? had he not paid our sin debt through his vicarious atonement on the cross, risen from the dead on the third day, and on the evening of that day appeared to his disciples and commissioned them as his ambassadors, saying, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But not every one. Within the hearing of the words of Jesus that day was pleased with what he said. On this occasion, it appears that the offended scribes were discreet enough not to voice their objections audibly, but their silence did not hide their thoughts from Jesus. He could read their thoughts, and his response gives us the benefit of his observation. The scribes knew that forgiveness comes from God but they failed to recognize that they were actually in the presence of and listening to the Son of God, their long-awaited Messiah. There are several other areas we could consider in this text, but our time will not allow us to pursue them all. However, let us look at how Jesus concluded his ministry to this paralyzed man by telling him, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And it is reported in the text that he arose and went to his house. Are we to understand that Jesus simply told this man to go home? Or do we see some other significance in these words of Jesus? I like to look at this instruction as counsel to converted sinners to return to their homes, yes, to their families, to their friends, to their co-workers and business associates, to their neighbors, to everyone that they know, and tell them what great things God has done for them. And to me, there is also significance to the Lord's words about taking up his bed. It has importance, too. Let me explain it in this way. It is possible in our human relationships, and particularly when we were not in a right relationship with God, that there have been situations that arose where we may have harmed someone or been a source of offense to another person, knowingly or unknowingly. As Christians, we would want to ask forgiveness for our wrongs and be reconciled to those with whom we may have been at odds. Problems that fit into this category are many, and they may range all the way from simple misunderstandings that have remained unresolved and have caused malice and bitterness to keep people apart for years, to dishonesty in business, slothfulness in job responsibilities, oh, there are so many other areas where wrongs may have been done. We know that any and all sins that we commit are sins committed against God. We cannot commit sin without offending God. When we experience God's forgiveness, We know that when God forgives, He truly forgives. He forgives our sins with no strings attached. There is total forgiveness with God, not a partial or a conditional forgiveness. When God has been so gracious to us that He has extended blanket forgiveness to us, we desire to praise Him, as did the prophet Isaiah who said, In love to my soul, Thou hast delivered me from the pit of corruption, for Thou hast cast all my sins behind Thy back. Then it follows that we take up our bed and walk in the sense that we live in obedience to the Holy Spirit that has taken His abode within our hearts. The first work of that Spirit is to testify with our spirits that we are the children of God. Second, he takes of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done and reveals or makes it known unto us. And third, he leads us in paths of truth and righteousness. My last thought today centers around the question, can there be temporal consequences for sin, even for forgiven sin? Does God even take away all temporal consequences for sin when he forgives us our sins? I don't believe so. For example, a life lived in disobedience to and in defiance of God's laws can have its consequences. God is willing to forgive all sins. He's willing to forgive the sins of alcoholism and sexual promiscuity. But the resulting physical and or mental impairments of such a lifestyle may be lifelong. The courts of our land mandate punishment for the breaking of civil laws, receiving God's forgiveness for such sins does not negate the consequences that may be imposed in the sentence handed down as a part of a person's debt to society. During a Bible study that I conducted on my travels to one of the former Soviet republics, I was asked by a young woman if it is possible to believe God's forgiveness so fully that we don't even remember the transgression that we had committed. In my response, I used an illustration from my childhood. While living on the farm in North Dakota, where I was born and where I lived the first ten years of my life, one day, while crawling through a barbed wire fence that surrounded the pasture where the cattle were feeding, I was caught by a sharp barb that tore a rather large and ugly gash on one of my legs just above the knee. It healed, but of course it left a clearly visible scar. I explained to this young lady that the scar reminds me of what happened so long ago, but the scar no longer poses any danger because the wound is healed. When I see the scar, I don't cry over it and over what happened when I was a boy. I'm just thankful that it healed and that it causes me no pain or trouble of any kind. And I believe that is how God wants us to view our past sins, those sins that he has forgiven, those sins that he has removed from us as far as the East is from the West. They are no longer held against us because God forgives and God forgets. When you think of them, remember how fortunate you are then praise God for his forgiveness and for his continuing grace and goodness to you. Let us all pray that there would be many hearts that would be opened and prepared for the gospel message the Lord has sent us to proclaim. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee amen and now the lord bless thee and keep thee the lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee the lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen
3: Our voices shall sing, so that others believing this new song shall sing.
0: Dear friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it. By the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.